0: And turn in your Bibles to the uh, book of Hebrews. Uh, the reading is uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, and verse 12. Beginning at uh, Hebrews chapter 5, and verse 11. Hear God's Word. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ... And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith of faith toward God and instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible... to contempt, for the land has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those uh, uh, to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned." Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for His name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for uh, Your Word And thank You that we have an opportunity to look into it. And thank You for Jesus Christ. And thank You that He is our great High Priest. And as the One who has reconciled us to You, having offered Himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we thank You that we are members of Your family. And we thank you that as our great high priest, he intercedes for us, he prays for us. And so we ask, Lord, as we look at this particular text this evening, that you would be pleased to open our eyes and open our ears and open our hearts and grant us your grace that we might understand our Lord Jesus and especially. Our Lord Jesus, as our great high priest, as the one who is the resource for living changed lives before you. Bless us to this end, we ask in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. The uh, great high priest of uh, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament uh, wore a a robe of some splendor uh, girded with a sash and uh, a breastplate upon which uh, were uh, mounted uh, twelve stones. And on those stones were engraved the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. And all of this carried a great deal of symbolism. And of course, uh, this symbolism and the high priest himself uh, looked forward to uh, Jesus Christ. The high priest was a type and a shadow of Him who was to come. That is, of uh, Jesus Christ. And there are those in various churches and denominations in the world today, in the contemporary church scene, where the pastors, and some of them are called priests, wear various kinds of robes. But you've noticed that when our pastor mounts the pulpit, he doesn't wear a robe. Uh, Have you ever wondered why that's the case? Well, at least one reason why uh, our pastor does not wear a robe, or uh, ministers uh, or uh, uh, preachers in our denomination uh, do not wear robes is uh, that we uh, don't want to represent to you, uh, the people, uh, the Old Testament priesthood, uh, uh, those priests who were garbed with robes, but we want to represent to you, and our pastor wants to represent to you, the one to whom those Old Testament priests pointed. That is, Jesus Christ. He wants you not to look back to the Old Testament priesthood, but he wants you to look forward to Jesus Christ. He wants you not to be conformed to the Old Testament Priesthood, but He wants you to be conformed to Jesus Christ, our great High Priest now who is in the heavens. And our text points us in this direction. And in the end, our text in pointing you and me to Jesus Christ, our great High Priest, wants you and wants me to understand that this Jesus Christ who is our great High Priest is the resource, your resource, our resource for living changed lives. We wonder sometimes, how are we going to live changed lives? Where is the fuel? What's the resource? It's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And uh, so that's uh, where we're going this evening as we uh, look at this text. Now, uh, just reading it through, uh, you might wonder about this a little bit, Uh, uh, because there are uh, some stark uh, things which are said in this text. But note first of all that uh, the context in which we find uh, the text which I read is the priesthood of Christ. Look, for example, at verse 11 in chapter 5. About this we have much to say. About this. About this priesthood of Christ. We have much to say. That's what the writer to the Hebrews is telling you and me. And if you look up in chapter 4 at verse 14 in your Bible, what does it say? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. It's the priesthood of Christ, which is the great context in which we find our text. Verse 5 of chapter 5, So also Christ did not exalt Himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by Him who said to Him, You are My Son today, I have begotten You. As he says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There it is again. The priesthood of Christ. And verse 10 in chapter 5, just before the text we're considering, Jesus Christ was designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so, it's these things... Or this, which we have much to speak about, as the writer to the Hebrews says. And then, uh, notice what else uh, verse 11 uh, says to us. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now, uh, sad to say, but nevertheless, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is saying... Uh, the things about the priesthood of Christ might be difficult to understand, but they're not difficult to understand in and of themselves. The difficulty has come because you and I are dull of hearing. At uh, West Point, the uh, upperclassmen used to say uh, to the plebes when they did something stupid, which was often the case, been there, done that, they would say, you dullard. That would be the expression. You're dull of hearing. And that's the idea. And the same kind of expression occurs at the end of our passage. Verse 12 in chapter 6. The writer to the Hebrews does not want us to be sluggish. So He's telling us these things so that you may not be sluggish or dull, but imitators of those through faith, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so, because this is the desire of God as given to us through the writer to the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews is giving us a couple of warnings. There's a warning that's given to us in verses 12 and following. And then there's another warning that's given to us in verses 4 and following. Uh, But before uh, the second warning, there's a little exhortation at the beginning of chapter 6. And then uh, at the end of our passage, verses 9 and following, we have a word of consolation. And so, because the writer to the Hebrews doesn't want you, and I'll point the finger at myself here also, doesn't want me to be dull of hearing, he proceeds to give us this warning. Verse 12, "...for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God." Uh, too highly about yourself as uh, uh, being mature rather than being more on the childish end of the spectrum, Uh, uh, let me give you a word of warning that goes along with what we're saying here. Several years at White Lake Camp, uh, when I had the privilege of uh, preaching there, uh, I asked uh, the group that was assembled together, what degree of sanctification do you think you've reached? And most of the folks in the congregation said, and I wrote it on the blackboard, most of the folks in the congregation said, I think maybe 75, 80, 85% sanctification. Some of you are smiling. I smiled also. Uh, Because I went to the board and I said, I think I'm down more uh, towards zero. Uh, You see, because in comparison with the perfection of Jesus Christ, I haven't gotten very far. And uh, this is really the case with most of us. We have not progressed very far on the spectrum which ends in infinity. And we have to keep that in mind. And the writer to the Hebrews exhorts us then not to be crybabies, not to be complainers, not to be little ones that are always whining about what's going on around us, but to grow up. kind of reminds you about Washington, doesn't it? Uh, At any rate, uh, you see, uh, this is what must be the case. We must grow up and become mature. And in verse 14, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, "...but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good and evil." You and I often find ourselves in circumstances and in situations where God has placed us in order that we might be trained, that we might be trained to distinguish good and evil. And God is up to this business, you see. And it's very striking because this is what happens to us. Think of a spectrum. There's good on one side and there's evil on the other side. Good is white and evil is black. And we like it, don't we, when it's clear. We like a black and white world where we can tell the difference quickly between good and evil. But then as you move towards the middle of the spectrum, what happens? All of a sudden, there's a gray area that emerges. And you can't tell so quickly and so easily the difference between good and evil. In the Old Testament... When the people of God had this difficulty, they were to repair to the priest. And if they had a conflict or a question, they would go to the priest, and the priest was to hear the case and unravel the conflict or give counsel in a particular circumstance that was set before him. In your case and in my case, Your priest is Jesus Christ. And when you have a question with regard to good and evil, and Jesus Christ is putting you in a situation so that you can practice discerning good and evil, you have to repair to Him and look to Him in His Word to understand good and evil. And this in part is what it means to grow up to become mature. And uh, having said this, uh, the writer to the Hebrews now gives us a little exhortation uh, beginning at the, uh, the start of chapter 6. Chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, he says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. You see... You can't remain as you are. You can't remain stagnant. You can't just be content in the circumstance where you are. You have to move ahead. You cannot expect that you will remain in the circumstance and in the situation you are without moving ahead. If you don't move ahead, you will inevitably, over a period of time, Move backward. This is the difficulty. And so the writer to the Hebrews is saying, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits." the foundation for your life and for my life is Jesus Christ. And this is clearly part of what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. But he's saying to us, once the foundation is laid, you must build on that foundation. And what is the foundation once again? Uh, The foundation is repentance from dead works and faith uh, toward God. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are the two sides of conversion. True conversion involves repentance and faith. You must turn away from the old life and from sin and turn to Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ There must be faith in God through Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. And of instructions about washings. Literally it is baptisms. And part of discipleship according to Jesus Christ is to be baptized. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them and teaching them. Baptism is an important part of discipleship. Laying on of hands. Laying on of hands is a a foundation in the Christian life. We don't pay much attention to this. Uh, I think to our our detriment. Uh, Years ago in the Sterling congregation, we had a young man who uh, had cancer. And uh, on two separate occasions, his parents asked the elders to lay hands on him and to pray for him. And we did this once privately and we did this once publicly. And this young man uh, subsequently underwent a bone marrow transplant. And if my memory serves me correctly, out of uh, the 21 individuals in a group that received bone marrow transplants, it was in a group that received... uh, Uh, like this, He was the only survivor. The laying on of hands. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, the writer to the Hebrews is not telling us to forget these things. But you're only converted once, friends. (laughs) Conversion comes once, and that conversion is a change of life upon which the house of your life must be built. You can't keep laying the same foundation. Uh, uh, Think about this. Uh, You're going to build a house. And so you you uh, uh, dig the area where the footings are going to be poured. And then after the footings are poured, uh, you pour a concrete slab. And then you say, okay, let's move in. Uh, Over here is the bedroom, so we'll put the bed over here in the concrete slab, and over here is the dining room, and we'll put the dining room table and the chairs uh, there in the concrete slab, and over here is the living room, let's put the lamps over here in the the sofa. Well, that would be silly, wouldn't it? And some of you are already smiling. No, you have to build the house. (laughs) You have to build the whole house. And so when the foundation is laid you must build the complete house. You must move on to maturity. You see, this is the burden of what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. And then, you see, he gives us this profound warning. Verses 4 and following. This is the second warning he gives. For it is impossible... In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Uh, Those are powerful words and and we wonder about them and the, and the commentaries uh, uh have several different perspectives on uh, this piece of the text uh, but i think what the text uh, is talking about and personally this is this is where i am with the text that this text is talking about what we've called the unpardonable sin because it speaks of those who fall away, and it's impossible for them to be renewed to repentance. They're like Esau, who sought repentance with tears and could not find it. And the stark thing is that these are people who have experienced great things. Verse 4 again. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have been enlightened by the Spirit of God, and have thereby tasted of heaven and the heavenly gift. And they've shared in the things of the Holy Spirit. And they've sat in the congregation and tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the age to come. Imagine this. Uh, uh, They're like uh, the person in the parable in Matthew 13 that Jesus speaks of who receives the Word of God with joy. But then... When the troubles come and the pressure comes, they fall away. And uh, there's a definite kind of falling away uh, you should understand is taking place here. Uh, Jesus uh, speaks about it uh, in Matthew 12 when he says that Uh, You can commit all manner of sin, and you can commit all manner of sin against the Son. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, and you say that the work of the Holy Spirit is the work of the devil, you're done. Jesus says, there's no forgiveness. And I think in the end, this is what the writer to the Hebrews is getting at. This is the person who's come into the congregation and received the Word of God and looks as though they've been converted externally because they've enjoyed some of the fruit of what takes place in the congregation. But then they walk away and they say of the Holy Spirit at work in the bosom of the congregation of the church of Jesus Christ, it's a work of the devil. And they leave blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Now let's be clear about something else here. There are those who walk away from the congregation, but not under such circumstances. And we need to pray for such people that they will be restored. Uh, a dear family in uh, the Sterling congregation in Kansas, now deceased. The mother in the family prayed for years for one of her daughters who, before her death, returned to the faith. Praise God that this is the case. And so you may ask, why does the writer to the Hebrews bring up this warning at this place? Because he wants to put an exclamation point on the idea of falling away That in the end, it can, it doesn't always, but it can have devastating consequences. And we need to understand that this is the case. And not fall back, but press forward and follow Jesus Christ with all of our heart. And then thankfully, the writer to the Hebrews brings this word of consolation. Verse 9 in chapter 6. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. And I would say the same thing to you. Though through this text I've speak spoken about these things, yet in your case, I feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Things that belong to those who are genuinely saved. Who have been born again Who have had the Holy Spirit poured out in their hearts. The love of God poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit given to them. Who have been blessed by God and born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. True conversion. And what does true conversion amount to? It really amounts to a change of life. It amounts to God's love being on display in your life and in my life. Look at verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and love, that you have shown for, the, for His name in serving the saints as you still do? God will not overlook your work and the love you have shown. What a beautiful thing this is. Love being shown by the people of God. In our study of 1 Corinthians in Sabbath school, one of the things that we've learned is that the best way, the best evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is love. Love as it is described and as it is defined in scripture. This is the best evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the writer to the Hebrews is saying about these people, that they've shown this love in serving the saints. And what else does this true conversion and this salvation, how is it shown? Verse 11, "...and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. That you pursue Jesus Christ and if you lack assurance of hope, that you seek the Lord and you seek God to have that hope confirmed in your heart so that that hope is full and you persevere in that hope until the end. Isn't this what Jesus Christ tells you and me? That if you persevere to the end, you shall be saved. This is the posture you and I must take. And so, the writer to the Hebrews goes back to the idea of the priesthood of Christ. He is saying to you, don't be a babe. Grow up. Build on the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life. Remember, falling away and have profound consequences. And if, as I think is the case, you are truly converted, you will press on in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ to the very end. And the result will be that you may not be sluggish Verse 12, But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, you will look at Jesus Christ and the fact that He is your great High Priest and you will cling to Him and you will recognize that He is... The source of strength you need and your resource to live a changed life. This is what will take place. Look again at a couple of other uh, verses here. Verses 19 and 20 in chapter 6. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ, the anchor of your soul. And you cast your anchor into heaven where it's fixed to the robe of His garment and anchors your soul to Him in heaven. He is your resource for a changed life. And then, verse 16 at the end of chapter 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ, Your resource for living a changed life. And He is Your help in time of need, and you may freely call upon Him." This is the burden of the text. And this is the burden of God for you to look to Jesus Christ as your resource for living a changed life. Let's pray together. Father, good You are in every respect and we thank You and praise You that this is the case. We pray that You'll work Your Word into our hearts and into our lives that we might be... Individuals who more firmly look to your son, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, as the one who embraces us and carries us forward in the life you have for us. Bless us to this end, we ask, in The good name of Jesus Christ the Lord, we pray. Amen.